Welcome to this edition of the Thoracic Surgery Resident Association's podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for teaching purposes only and should not be applied directly to patient care. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the DSRA podcast series. My name is Mujitma Bursher. I'm a first-year surgery resident here at the Cleveland Clinic. I'm very excited to be here. Joined with us today is Dr. Monisha Sudarshan. She's a thoracic surgeon here in the Department of Thoracic and Cardiovascular Surgery here at the Cleveland Clinic. We're very excited to have her here today. Thank you very much, Dr. Sudarshan, for being here today, taking our time for this podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk about this very interesting topic. So our topic today is going to be mediastinal staging. It's a very important topic. It's a key component in the workup of patients with lung cancer. And this is because the treatment options vary quite a bit depending on how the mediastinum is staged. And the prognosis also depends quite a bit on uh, the staging as well. So our, the outline for our podcast will begin with, uh, we'll revolve all the questions around scenarios, and we'll focus on the methods of non-invasive staging, methods of invasive staging, what are the indications for staging, and uh, of course we'll discuss all the lymph node stations, um, and their uh, location, levels, anatomy, um, and we'll focus in the interest of time only on the topic of mediastinal staging. Sounds good. Okay, so let's start with our first scenario. Uh, you have a 60-year-old female. She has a 30-pack-year history of smoking and arrives to your clinic for further evaluation of a suspicious right-sided lung nodule found initially on a screening CT scan. This lesion is a peripheral, speculated, 3-centimeter suspicious nodule. So can you begin by outlining what are the modalities of non-invasive mediastinal staging? Right. So non-invasive mediastinal staging, the most commonly used methods are either a CT scan, a PET scan, or a combination of both as in a PET CT scan. So let's start by talking about a CT scan first. It's one of the most commonly used modalities for non-invasive mediastinal staging. And essentially, it provides very detailed anatomic information about the tumor itself, about lymph nodes, locations, and also about different metastatic sites. It's not a very sensitive or a very specific tool, which is why we use a PET scan. PET scan is a tool that's a little bit more sensitive. It's more sensitive than a CT scan alone. Very briefly, it employs the use of a radio tracer. It uses um, 18F glucose, and it's based on the metabolic activity of tumors. More active tumor cells, they light up. A PET CT scan is a combination of both of these procedures. This is the tool that is most used. These days, it has a higher sensitivity and specificity than both of these tools combined. It's also used to identify if there are any distant metastases in the body. Okay, so what is the size cutoff generally that we use when we're thinking that a lymph node is suspicious and not suspicious? So the size cutoff is a centimeter, okay. and that's the short axis diameter. I think that's a very important point that it's a short axis diameter that's more than one centimeter. Generally long skinny lymph nodes are benign. So the short axis is an important point. And um, as you mentioned, the PET-CT scan is really the standard across North America. And what are some things that can give you false negatives? 
false positives, I'm sorry, on a PET-CT? Since a PET-CT scan is based on metabolic activity, pretty much any disease processes that are inflammatory in nature, sarcoidosis, infections, these are all metabolically active processes and these can also light up and cause false positives. Okay, that's an important point because if you're dealing with let's say a cancer but on top of that you're dealing with post-obstructive pneumonia you might have positive lymph nodes on PET CT scan that certainly need to be um, investigated further uh, but may not necessarily uh, be cancerous. So for completeness sake can you comment on the role of MRI in mediastinal staging? Right so MRI is a tool that is excellent for evaluating soft tissues it has very good sensitivity However, based on all of the studies that have been done so far, it really has not been worked up enough for use routinely in mediastinal staging. So currently at this time, it's not um, a routine tool and we still stick to a PET-CT scan. Right, so MRI um, is excellent for vascular, spinal, chest wall invasion, and often employed uh, for large bulky tumors. Um, But as you said, we don't routinely employ it in mediastinal staging as such. So you see your patient, you complete a PET scan, there's no mediastinal lymphadenopathy noted. Um, There's no evidence of distant metastatic disease. So right now you're dealing with this three centimeter PET avid lesion. It has an SUV of six. Um, Can you provide me the T staging for this lesion? Right, this tumor fits into the category of T1C tumor. That is a tumor between two and three centimeters. Okay. And um, so it's a T1C tumor, N0. Uh, and what clinical stage is that? So this is a clinical stage 1A. Uh, since it's essentially T1C, N0, there is no nodal involvement and uh, no evidence of any metastasis as well, so M0. Okay. Do you think this patient needs invasive mediastinal staging? In this patient, given that it's a peripheral 1A tumor stage 1, there's no real role of invasive mediastinal staging and the reason is because in this group of patients the pretest probability of having nodal involvement N2 or above is very low. It's in the range of 5% or so and in this case we can skip invasive mediastinal staging and proceed directly for surgery. Okay, so what are the next steps uh, for this patient? We have to make sure that they're a surgical candidate first of all. So essentially we'll complete a full history and physical examination and then proceed for further surgical workup. So we'll obtain a full lab panel, CBC, a BMP. We'll proceed with cardiac testing as well and pulmonary function tests. And then based on their symptoms and overall medical condition, we'd have them optimized, then proceed for surgery. Okay, so your history and physical in this scenario is non-contributory. The patient is a good surgical candidate, excellent PFTs. FEV1 is 82%, DLCO is 85%. Um, You know, you um, don't suspect any major cardiac issues. Her EKG is normal and no further cardiac workup is indicated. Uh, What sort of surgery are you planning now? So I would plan for a VATS wedge resection. This is going to be performed under general anesthesia, and we do this with a double lumen endotracheal tube. We'd start with essentially confirming the diagnosis of malignancy. Once that is confirmed in the OR, at the same time, we'd continue with a completion lobectomy and also perform a mediastinal lymphadenectomy. Okay. So we'll go into details of mediastinal lymphadenectomy versus lymph node sampling and uh, the standard of care when uh, aiming to resect mediastinal lymph nodes at the time of surgery in a bit. Let's proceed to our scenario number two. Right. 
Okay, uh, so you are seeing a patient now, uh, it's a 64-year-old male uh, who is referred to you for a right upper lobe, six centimeter, already biopsy-proven cancer, and ipsilateral mediastinal lymph nodes that are approximately between 1.5 and 1.7 centimeters on the CT scan. Right. What is the T and N staging for this patient? So based on this mass size of six centimeter, this patient fits in T stage three. That is a stage that's between five and seven centimeters. And with regards to the N stage, this patient is at least an N1 stage based on the CT scan, but possibly be N2 as well. Okay. I just wanted to point out an easy way when we talk more about stations later on is any N1 stage is uh, double digit stations and N2 stage and N3 stages are single digit stations. Can you just give me more detail on the difference between N1, N2 and N3? Right, so N1 staging is essentially metastasis in the ipsilateral peribronchial or the hilar lymph nodes, essentially the interpulmonary lymph nodes. Um, N2 stage involves the ipsilateral mediastinum or the ipsilateral subcarinal lymph nodes. N3 stage is when we have involvement of the contralateral side, so the contralateral mediastinal nodes, contralateral hilar lymph nodes, and also if there's involvement of the supraclavicular nodes as well, which is station one. Okay, um, so I just want to point out N1 stage, as you said, peribronchial, hilar and intrapulmonary, but um, it's not only intrapulmonary, it can be peribronchial and hilar lymph nodes. Yeah. So is there a need, first of all, for invasive mediastinal staging in this scenario, yes or no? And in general, what are your indications for invasive mediastinal staging? Yes, so this patient has a relatively larger tumor with imaging evidence of uh, lymph node involvement. So there is a role for invasive mediastinal staging. Generally, in, we do invasive mediastinal staging whenever there are any lymph nodes that are more than a centimeter in size on the short axis, or if there are any lymph nodes that are um, seen to light up on a PET-CT scan. Um, central tumors also fit into the criteria as well as if there's any clinical N1 disease noticed on imaging. Especially tumors that are three centimeter above you, we definitely want to get into invasive mediastinal staging as well. Okay. So let's focus, before we go into the different modes of invasive mediastinal staging, let's talk more about the lymph node stations, okay? Right. Um, so we'll go systematically. Can you ta uh, describe to me what station one is? So station one are the supraclavicular lymph node stations. These are the nodes that are above the, right above the clavicle, extending up to the cricoid. Okay. And what is station two? Station two, these are our upper paratracheal nodes. They're right beneath station one. Okay. And uh, is divided into the right side and the left side. Okay. One important uh, an anatomic detail to mention is that uh, as in station four, for station two, the oncological midline is along the left lateral border of the trachea in order to divide the left and the right side of station two. So right. that's an important, uh, it's not the center of the trachea, but it's actually the left lateral border of the trachea that decides left versus right on station two. Right. Okay, so what are what is station three? Station three nodes are our prevascular and our retrotracheal nodes. These are divided into 3A and 3B. 
3A are our prevascular nodes and 3B are the retrotracheal nodes. Okay. What about station 4? Station 4, similar to station 2, they're essentially our lower paratracheal nodes. So again, right side and left side. Okay. So station 4, um, how do you distinguish station 4R from a 10R? So that is based on the azygous vein. Yeah. So that's that's an important border to know. The azygous vein differentiates 4R from a 10R. And... Um, that you can appreciate on bats and even on mediastinoscopy. Now, um, station 4L. Have you seen us routinely harvest station 4L in bats? Station 4L is a relatively tricky lymph node station to get at. So we don't really use bats for, um, for harvesting this node, at least from what I've seen. Yeah. You're right. It's a it's medial to the ligamentum arteriosum. We don't routinely harvest this. However, we can easily get to it from mediastinoscopy, and we'll explore this uh, in a bit. So, uh, can you talk to me about station five and station six? So five and six. So these are our aortic nodes. So five is subaortic. It's in the AP window, the aortopulmonary window. Uh, six is our paratracheal nodes. This okay. is right um, anterior to the ascending aorta. Okay. This is an important lymph node station, especially when talking about left upper lobe cancers. There's a little bit of controversy whether station 5 uh, and 6 lymph nodes when positive in a left upper lobe cancer truly constitute N2 disease or not. However, they are definitely N2 stations, so that is an uh, issue for another podcast. <laughs> so what is station 7? Station seven are our subcarinal nodes, so this is just at the just underneath the trachea. Okay, and station eight. Station eight is uh, proceeding further down. These are our paraesophageal nodes. Okay, and station nine. So nine is at the pulmonary ligament. Again, we have left side and right side as well. Okay, and station ten are they N one or N two lymph nodes? So station one are our N one nodes. So essentially from 10 all the way to 14, all of them are, are N1 nodes. Okay. And what distinguishes station 10 from station 11? So both of them are outside the mediastinum. Is, is it the pulmonary artery? Um, well, one is a hilar lymph node and the other one is an intralobar, interlobar lymph nodes. So hilar lymph nodes, these are lymph nodes that are immediately adjacent to the main stem bronchus. So anything that you're seeing along the main stem bronchus in the hilar vessels, um, including the proximal portions of the pulmonary veins and the main PA, that will be a station 10. And then as we're going into station 11, these you would find between the origin of the lobar bronchi. Right. So, for example, uh, between the upper lobe bronchus and bronchus intermedius on the right, and then between the middle and the lower uh, lobe bronchus on the right is an example of an interlobar or station 11 lymph nodes. Right. And um, what are station 12, 13, and 14? So 12 are our lobar nodes, 13 are our segmental nodes, and 14 are our subsegmental nodes. These are, this is proceeding into the lung parkine. Okay. So now that we have uh, talked about the different lymph node stations, let's go back to uh, the modes of invasive mediastinal staging. Uh, can you start with naming, in general, the commonly used modes for invasive mediastinal staging? So 
when we talk about invasive media style staging, there are again different modalities that are used. So generally we have three main modalities. We have the endoscopic modalities, we have mediastinoscopy, and we have VATS. When we talk about endoscopy, we have EBUS and EUS. EBUS stands for endobronchial ultrasound and EUS is endoscopic ultrasound. Okay. And what about the surgical modalities? The surgical modalities are VATS. Okay. And, uh, maybe a thoracotomy as well. Okay. So let's let's talk about the different lymph node stations that uh, we can obtain through different modalities. So through an EBUS, what are the lymph node stations that are accessible? So for an EBUS, we can access stations 2, 4, 7, 10, 11, 12. So essentially our upper and lower paratracheal, our carinal nodes, and then our hilar and uh, proceeding to the lobar. Okay. And uh, what are the EUS lymph node stations? EUS has similar lymph node stations that can be accessed, but um, instead of um, our hilar nodes, we have uh, stations 8 and 9, which are the paraesophageal and the nodes around the pulmonary ligament. Correct. So EUS doesn't access 2, it doesn't access 4. It can access 7. And remind me, what is seven again? Seven are our subcarinal nodes. Yep. So it can access seven, eight, which is? Eight are our paraesophageal nodes. Yes. So seven, eight, and nine. Um, but it does not access two, four, which are an important distinguishing. So you can use whichever one you wish, uh, depending on what you're planning to go for. What about mediastinoscopy? Mediastinoscopy accesses stations two, four, seven and ten so similar to ebus and eus so upper paratracheal lower paratracheal subcarinal and hilar okay can you talk to me a bit about chamberlain procedure chamberlain procedure is a surgical modality essentially it's an anterior mediastinotomy it's it's a procedure that's performed under general anesthesia and it involves incision into the left side of the sternum usually in the intercostal spaces two or three and it's used to access nodes that are primarily in the AP window, so stations five and six. Okay, so this is generally a dated procedure. It's not used very commonly right now for lung cancer staging, but nevertheless an important procedure to know about because sometimes we do need to access AP window masses um, and uh, a needle biopsy may not give us a good yield and at the same time we don't want to go through vats mm -hmm. and uh, violate the pleura. It is important uh, in Chamberlain first of all to stay out of the pleura and then also to be careful about the internal mammary artery um, that is at risk for uh, injury. Let's go back to mediastinoscopy since that's one of the most commonly used procedures, uh, surgical procedures. Um, so we do this through a suprasternal incision and the mediastinoscope is then inserted and we stay right on top of the trachea. Uh, can you tell me some of the complications of mediastinoscopy? So pretty much with any surgical procedure, we have a risk of complications. Bleeding is a complication that's common to most um, surgeries. With this surgery in particular, since we are right adjacent to the trachea, there may be a risk of tracheal injury, there may be a risk of esophageal injury, and it's very rare, but there may be injury to the recurrent laryngeal nerve as well. Okay. 
So a media cystinoscopy may be a very commonly performed routine procedure, but certainly has a significant mor morbidity and a real mortality risk since we are uh, working along some major structures. So just to elaborate uh, on the bleeding risk, um, on the right side, you're at risk for damage of the azagous vein, um, the PA, and um, anything in the middle. But these two are important structures uh, to take note of. The recurrent laryngeal nerve, especially um, on the left side, is at risk of injury, so we generally don't tend to use cautery when we're working and taking off uh, left-sided lymph nodes. And then the esophagus is also at risk for injury, especially when dissecting out the station seven lymph nodes. Um, and so it's important to make sure you're not, once again, cautious use of cautery and uh, knowing what your anatomy is like um, and not pass pointing. So we have gone over the invasive mediastinal staging. So you take your patient for a mediastinoscopy and uh, the pathology comes back for, uh, for positive F4R. So just a reminder, we're talking about a six centimeter right upper lobe lesion uh, with a positive 4R. What is your next step? So our next step is essentially um, starting the patient on induction chemotherapy. This is stage three disease that we're talking about. Once we proceed with induction chemotherapy, we need to restage the patient as well before we proceed to surgery. Okay, and I just wanted to remind our uh, listeners that uh, you know, this is in the context of a very healthy patient who's able to tolerate all this um, um, induction therapy and has no di uh, distant metastatic disease. So um, this patient finishes induction therapy, which also the, the sequence and the type of induction therapy uh, varies across institutions. Some choose to give induction chemoradiation, some choose to give induction chemotherapy, and uh, some uh, definitive chemoradiation therapy. But for the purposes of this scenario and this podcast, we will, we will um, do induction chemotherapy for the stage, uh, stage 3A disease. So this patient completes it. Um, what is the role of restaging now that she's done with this? So restaging is, is something that does need to be carried out for this patient. And similar to when we initially staged the mediastinum, there are multiple modalities that we can use. We pretty much use the same modalities. Uh, PET CT scan is used for staging. It has a lower reliability when we're restaging. However, it's still uh, very commonly used. Endoscopic procedures also have a decreased accuracy after restaging, especially after induction chemotherapy. The other option is surgical, and that's doing a mediastinoscopy again. And this is something that is still possible, however, is a little bit trickier after a mediastinoscopy has already been done, and there are increased risk of complications. However, it still is technically feasible. VATS still remains an option as well. Okay, so just to summarize that, uh, restaging in terms of radiological studies, a CT scan also would be suitable for restaging after induction therapy in order to see whether, first of all, the primary tumor has reacted to the chemotherapy and if overall the, the lymph nodes uh, stations have also decreased in size. Um, a PET CT can be used, but a CT scan alone would also suffice. In terms of invasive restaging, these are not routinely employed, especially if the CT scans are um, encouraging for reaction to the induction therapy. As you said, re-mediastinoscopy 
definitely associated with increased risk of complications due to the fibrosis, uh, but there are several reports out there that also show that it's safe in case you're in a position that you do need to do another media stinoscopy. Certainly, um, EBUS and EUS uh, are employed more when you're planning to avoid a remedia stinoscopy and if they had an EBUS or EUS at the first staging procedure. So you take your patient to surgery and you're proceeding with a lobectomy. Can you give me um, what are some of the targets in terms of the number of lymph node stations you're aiming for and the lumber, number of lymph nodes you would like to have some standard of care when approaching lymphadenectomy? Right. So based on the NCCN guidelines, there are a couple of targets that we're aiming for. We're aiming for around four stations. Three of them should be N2 stations and one of them should be an N1 station. And we aim to sample at least 12 lymph nodes. Right. So more lymph nodes, the better, better staging. Um, and definitely more amount of stations, the better. But um, try to get at least three N2 stations and uh, definitely N1 uh, lymph node stations. So on the right side, just to summarize, getting the inferior pulmonary ligament uh, nodes, which are station 9, getting uh, station 7, getting station 4. These are very easily accessible on the right side. And then all your N1 stations, uh, excellent dissection it needs to be completed to get stations 10 and 11. On the left side, you can get stations 5, 6, 7, 9, um, and then all the usual N1 stations. As we alluded to before, getting station 4 on the left side is uh, more challenging and not uh, routinely sought after. One important point to make is the question of lymphadenectomy versus lymph node sampling. Uh, we do have results from the ACO SOG Z0030 trial that show that there's no significant improvement in overall survival when you compare lymphadenectomy uh, with lymph node sampling. Of course, these patients had thorough preoperative um, workups, but uh, this is a controversial point um, out there when surgeons are deciding between lymph node sampling and lymphadenectomy. All right, so ladies and gentlemen, that brings us towards the end of our podcast. Very briefly, uh, to summarize what you've listened to, mediastinal staging is very important for both the treatment and the prognosis of lung cancer. Different modalities are employed. There is non-invasive modalities and invasive. Non-invasive CT scan, PET CT scan, or a combination of both. MRI not routinely used at the moment. Invasive modalities are our endoscopic modalities. That's our EBUS and EUS and we have mediastinoscopy, which is still our gold standard, and then we have um, surgical, which is VATS. So that summarizes what we've been talking about. Thank you very much for listening to us. Dr. Sudarshan, thank you very much for joining us today and for being here. Any other comments before we sign off? I think that was a uh, good review of the uh, modalities and the different uh, anatomical stations. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Thank you.